This is episode nine of the Graph Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. We have a special edition of the Graph Podcast for you today, as we're taking a deep dive into the career of Jordan Speed. Consider it a book report of sorts in podcast form, talking about how Speed developed into a three-time major champion, how he fell from the elite of the game, and how he has chipped away at getting back there in 2021. You know, the reason we wanted to do something like this, chronicling Speed's career, is that for my money, he's maybe the most magnetic character among active players. I just find that he's he's vulnerable, he's transparent. And I think what makes him so entertaining is that he's pretty relatable. He, he's not Dustin Johnson overpowering golf courses. He kind of has an unorthodox swing, which we'll get into a little bit. And there have been a lot of examples where it seems like he is doubting himself. Uh, you know, there there are so many players in the game today that are that are the opposite. They're, they're they're flatliners. They don't really offer that much emotion, and sometimes it feels like they're pretty robotic. I, I think Spieth has something that Arnold Palmer had, which is that he can connect with the with a wide ranging audience. And what he does and how he plays the game, a lot of times it looks like the average person could replicate some of what he is doing, and, and maybe more importantly, how he was doing it. So that's really the driving force behind taking a look at his career. Before we start, just a reminder that if you have any questions for the Graph Podcast, you could DM us on Instagram or send an email to the club at graph.golf. We would love to hear any topics you'd like us to cover, or if you have any questions about your game, please send them along. But without further ado, here is our in-depth look into the career of Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth was born to be an athlete. His dad, Sean, played baseball at Lehigh University, and his mom, Chris, was a basketball player at Moravian College. Jordan's younger brother, Stephen, who is six foot six compared to his six foot one brother, went on to play basketball at Brown University and was a pretty solid player, averaging 11 points per game his senior year. Both brothers had the competitive streak that their parents shared as athletes. When Jordan would go on to win the 2015 Masters, Stephen had a stress fracture in his foot, but still walked all 72 holes during the tournament. And when Jordan would watch Stephen's college basketball games from afar, he wouldn't always be able to control his, his temper. This quote came from an ESPN article by Jeff Goodman. Said Jordan, quote, I actually broke an iPad one time. I have an actual broken iPad after watching one of his games. I think it was because of a bad call. I can totally relate to that. But while competing was something Jordan gravitated to immediately, golf was not his first love. Growing up in Dallas, he started in baseball as a left-handed pitcher, only giving it up at age 12 to focus on golf. That would be considered fairly late by 2021 standards, given how kids become specialized in one sport much earlier now. When Jordan did turn to golf, the results came quickly. He started in the AJGA, the top junior tour in the country, as a three-time All-American, and he won two U.S. Junior Amateur Championships, which is perhaps the biggest tournament you could find pre-college. The only other player to win multiple U.S. Junior Amateurs is Tiger, who did it three times. Jordan attended Jesuit College Preparatory School, and at age 16, he was invited to play in the hometown PGA Tour event, the Byron Nelson Championship. These type of exemptions happen somewhat frequently, and they, they're almost always ceremonial in nature. It's, it's more of an investment into the future of the game, kind of goodwill, if you will, especially a local kid with, with, with a ton of promise. But rarely, almost never really, does 
a player at that age play well enough in the event to make some noise come the weekend. Prior to the tournament, Jordan spoke like a player who felt like he belonged. Speaking with media prior to the event, he said, quote, nobody that's here enters a tournament if they don't think they can win. Obviously, I know the percentage chances of me winning an event like this right now, but anything can happen. And almost anything did happen. With hundreds, and we mean literally hundreds, of his high school classmates taking off school to watch him play, Jordan became the sixth youngest player to ever make a PGA Tour cut. He got into contention to win the tournament and was actually tied for seventh heading into the final round, but faded with a two over 72 that left him tied for 16th. Still, the week had been a roaring success. Playing with former U.S. Open champion Corey Pavin in the last round, the gallery was the largest of any player. Said eventual winner Jason Day, who was playing in the last group with Blake Adams, quote, I was walking to the fourth hole, and it looked like there were a thousand people following him. I turned to Blake and said, there are more people following the young amateur than us. Of course, one favorable PGA Tour start doesn't mean much when they have years worth of maturing, but Jordan continued to provide a reason that he could be the next dominant player at golf's highest level. He went 2-0-1 in the 2011 Walker Cup, which is the amateur version of the Ryder Cup, and then led the University of Texas to the 2012 NCAA Championship as a freshman. He was a first-team All-American for the Longhorns, as well as the Big 12 Player of the Year, after winning three college events and leading the team in stroke average. Midway through his sophomore year, at age 19, Jordan decided to turn pro. He had enjoyed success in his limited professional starts to that point, making the cut in six of the eight events he had competed in. That included earning low amateur honors at the 2012 U.S. Open, where he shot 69-70 on the weekend to breeze past fellow amateur Bo Hostler for the low am honors. It was that performance that not only catapulted him to being the number one amateur in the world, but convinced him that his time in college was coming to an end. He told his coach and his family right after the event, I'm turning pro. Said Jordan, quote, being able to play the weekend of a major championship under par at a U.S. Open under par, I think is when I sat back and said, you know, maybe I'm ready to go. There are multiple ways to reach the PGA Tour. The main avenue is through the Corn Ferry Tour, which sends 50 of their top players each year to the big leagues. Another way, which has become popular for some of the best players in the world, is to do what Jordan did. Play well enough in the opportunities you get so that you earn membership on your own. Each PGA Tour event has a limited number of sponsors exemptions, which are basically players they invite because of their popularity to gain attention. A player can only get seven of these per season. More recently, players like Colin Morikawa and Matthew Wolf use these exemptions to win PGA Tour events and automatically gain membership, but before them, it was Jordan Spieth paving the way. Jordan missed the cut by two strokes in his first try, but in March, playing against one of the weaker fields on the PGA Tour, the Puerto Rico Open, Spieth tied for second. Shortly after, he tied for seventh at the Tampa Bay Championship. This earned him special temporary membership, allowing him unlimited sponsors exemptions for the rest of the year. If he earned enough points to qualify for the top 125 players, he would get his PGA Tour card. However, it wouldn't come to that. In July of 2013 at the John Deere Classic, Jordan holed out from a greenside bunker on the 72nd hole to get into a playoff with Zach Johnson and David Hearn, which he won. He became the fourth youngest PGA Tour winner in history and the first teenager to win since Ralph Goldall in 1931. He was the youngest PGA Tour winner in 82 years. 
On a side note, and what would a book report be without a few of those, the bunker shot Spieth hold to get into the playoff was a bit of a lucky one, as in Jordan called it, quote, the luckiest shot I ever hit in my life. However, when Jordan came back to that same tournament a year later for Media Day, the tournament organizers asked him to hit a ball out of the bunker, the same bunker, to the same hole location as part of a ceremony. On his first try, he made it. After Jordan won, the floodgates of his career really opened. Five weeks later, he lost to Patrick Reed in a playoff at the Wyndham Championship. He finished the year number seven on the FedEx Cup points list, earning a spot on the U.S. Presidents Cup team. He was the youngest ever to play in the event. Soon after, he was named Rookie of the Year on the PGA Tour. In the span of less than nine months or so, Jordan had gone from an amateur to the number 22 player in the world golf rankings, but that hot start was only a signal of what was to come. As a 20-year-old in his second season on the PGA Tour, Jordan had eight top 10 finishes, arriving runner-up in the 2014 Masters and tied for fifth in the Players' Championship. He was picked for the Ryder Cup that year, becoming the youngest player post-World War II to accomplish that, and he went 2-1-1 in the match with Patrick Reed as his partner in three of those four matches. He won the Australian Open that fall, shooting 63 in the final round to become the first American in 20 years to win the tournament. That Masters runner-up would be a harbinger of good things to come at Augusta throughout his career. Many people forget this, but he actually had a two-shot lead going into the eighth hole of the final day as he battled eventual champion Bubba Watson. There was a two-shot swing in the par-5 eighth, with Spieth three-putting for bogey and Watson making birdie, and there was another two-shot swing in Watson's favor on the ninth, a hole later. On the famous par-3 twelfth, Spieth's tee shot found the water, and his chance to win the tournament had all but ended. This was an important moment in his development looking back. After the round, Jordan expressed genuine surprise at some of the mistakes he made because he thought they deserved better results. Of a misplayed third shot on the eighth hole, he said, quote, I was baffled by it. I really was. Of his approach shot on the ninth hole that came up short, a cardinal sin on that hole, Spieth said, quote, I hit it very solid. I saw it hit the bank, thought it would climb up. I was kind of surprised to see it come back down. Harsh lessons like that were what led to Jordan's legendary 2015 season. But before we break that down, let's take a moment to talk about what made him so great during this time period. First, from a statistical vantage point, Jordan really didn't have a weakness. In 2013, he ranked 7th in strokes gained off the tee despite only being 80th in driving distance with an average of 289 yards, showing just how accurate he was off the tee. His worst performance of the major categories was his putting, but even that was just 60th and well ahead of average. He wasn't as consistent in 2014, but once again, he gained strokes in every major category. He didn't have an obvious strength, but there wasn't one part of his game he had to overcome. In second, the swing itself. In his setup, his head was tilted well to the right, promoting an inside path to the ball. On the backswing, his right arm would separate from the body, which invariably means your swing will be flatter. His grip was weaker than most, but he took the club back closed. He moved hard laterally into his left side and compressed the ball better than really anyone at impact, but his left arm would bend severely on the follow-through, producing a chicken wing type of action. All of that is to say this. Technically, it was a great golf swing, but it also looked completely unlike the elegance of Rory McIlroy or Adam Scott. 
It was uniquely his swing. Someone could look at a silhouette of him swinging and know exactly who it was. In a few minutes, we'll talk about how that unorthodox swing changed as his career would eventually dip and then start to come back to where it is now. 2015 will likely go down as Jordan's best year, no matter how long he plays. It's probably a top 10 or top 15 season ever in golf history by any golfer, male or female. He won five times, including two majors, and also recorded 15 top 10s. At 21 years old, he was the second youngest player to win the Masters behind Tiger. Halfway through the tournament, Golf Channel's David Duval said the sentiment that seemed to echo how everyone else was feeling. Duval said, quote, Top to bottom, he is really good at everything. I dare say he could have won this tournament yesterday. When he won the U.S. Open two months later, he was the youngest ever to win the first two majors of the year. With a chance at winning the career Grand Slam in one year, Jordan finished one shot shy of a playoff in the Open Championship and then came runner-up at the PGA Championship to Jason Day. By this point, Jordan had reached number one in the world and was the unanimous PGA Tour Player of the Year. He won $22 million that year. Comparisons to Tiger were inevitable, if not a bit far-fetched. By the standard he had set, 2016 was almost a letdown, even though, to be honest, the majority of players probably would have considered it one of the best efforts of their career. Spieth shot 30 under at the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii, capturing his seventh PGA Tour title, and he would also win at Colonial and the Australian Open later that year, not to mention playing a key role in the victorious 2016 U.S. Ryder Cup team. But of course, everyone will remember what happened at the Masters that April. Jordan had started with a bogey-free 66 to take the lead, which he maintained throughout the next two rounds. And with only nine holes to play in the tournament, he led by five strokes, but it slowly came undone over the next three holes. After making bogeys in the 10th and 11th, he hit two balls into the water on the 12th to fall three strokes back of the eventual champion, Danny Willett. Jordan was open with how devastating the loss was, saying, quote, In the big picture, this one hurts. While 2016 had been a year of superb putting, Jordan ranked second on tour that year. 2017 was the peak of Spieth's ball striking powers. He finished the year second in strokes gained tee to green, including second in strokes gained approach. In other words, his iron play was sublime. Earlier in the year, he won at Pebble Beach to become the second man to win nine times in the PGA Tour before the age of 24. He would get to 10 victories by defeating Daniel Berger in a playoff at the Travelers Championship, an iconic moment where he hold a bunker shot and the crowd absolutely erupted. Although Spieth couldn't muster up a top finish at the Masters of the U.S. Open, his Open Championship performance will long be remembered. Battling Matt Kuchar in the final round, Spieth was tied for the lead when he hit his tee shot in the par 4 13th miles right into an unplayable lie within a massive sand dune. After a long, long, about 20-minute process of figuring out where to drop, he miraculously figured out a way to make bogey to only lose one shot from there, and then went on to have one of the most memorable finishes to a round in major championship history. He hit his tee shot close on the par 3 14th to make birdie, then rolled in a 35-foot equal putt on the 15th before making another two birdies at 16 and 17. Spieth joined Jack Nicholas as the only player to win three of the four majors before turning 24 years old. This is an important moment in Jordan's timeline. After he won, many golf experts, myself included, were declaring that he would win something in the area of 10 majors, which 
in retrospect, that may have been a little ambitious. He's still only at three at the time of this recording, but the journey there has been anything but boring. Twenty eighteen saw Jordan play good but not great golf in the first four months, highlighted by a mesmerizing final round at the Masters where he shot sixty four to almost catch eventual winner Patrick Reed. Spieth unfortunately hit a tree with his tee shot on the on the seventy second hole and had to settle for bogey in solo third place. From that point, Jordan began to struggle mightily. His only top ten finish the rest of the season was a tie for ninth at the Open Championship, where he led going into the last round but shot a seventy six to fall out of contention. He failed to qualify for the Tour Championship, the season-ending event with the top 30 players on Tour. 2019 was even worse. While he did have a string of three consecutive top 10 finishes at the PGA Championship, Colonial, and the Memorial, he fell to 44th on the points list and still hadn't won a tournament since that 2017 Open Championship. Of particular concern was that 2019 was the best putting year of his career as he finished second in strokes game putting. The real problem came off the tee, where he ranked 176th, and his iron play was not much better, as his strokes gain approach to the green was ranked 145th. Suddenly, all the things that made Jordan Spieth relatable were becoming maybe a little too relatable to the average person's game. Always one to have long conversations with his caddy Michael Greller, many were saying that the troubles were all in Spieth's head, that he had been pressing too hard on the mental side of the equation and just overthinking things. It was a classic example of everyone praising an individual for their uniqueness when things worked and then blaming those same elements when things didn't work. As a golf teacher myself, I felt that the real problem was technical. When Spieth was at the height of his powers, he always started his swing with a slight movement of his hands before, b- before he went, a little bit of a trigger move, if you will. By 2019, that move was gone. He just basically started from a completely static position. On his backswing, his right knee was bending more than the past, which didn't really allow him to get much hip rotation. His swing was not as flat as it had been, his right elbow tucked in a little bit closer to his body. All of that led to less predictability and more reliance on timing. Watching him, it felt like he came over the top a lot and was a victim to quick hooks when presented with difficult heat shots. It seemed like a mechanical issue that needed to be addressed to find consistency. In 2020, there were times where that seemed to be the case where he was on the right path. While his long game got slightly better, his putting really let him down and got considerably worse as he ranked outside the top 100 on the greens. And while 2020 saw him drop to 107th on the points list, something once thought completely unimaginable, he wasn't really missing cuts in bunches. In fact, he had... As many top 10s as missed cuts, three, but still Jordan had fallen well outside the top 50 in the world and really had completely fallen off from the elite in the game. We're so quick to make proclamations nowadays, and there were many who doubted Jordan would regain the form he has, but for someone to have the junior career he did and then win that many PGA Tour events over four years, it was just difficult to imagine all of that would go away and never come back. Starting this past February, the changes he had been making to his swing to eliminate some of the aforementioned problems began to really set in. He finished tied for fourth at the Phoenix Open after shooting a 61 in the third round, and that round really felt like the old Jordan who would kind of pull a rabbit out of his hat multiple times around. The next week, he led going into the final round at Pebble Beach, but settled for a tie for third. After another top five at Bay Hill, 
in a strong showing at match play. Spieth came home to Texas where he won the Valero Texas Open while looking in complete control of his game. A week later, he tied for third at the Masters. One of the most encouraging things I've seen from Jordan in this renaissance, and I do think he will continue on this path to win more golf tournaments and more majors, is how he's found a reliable cut shot off the tee. And this is a great, this is just great advice for really anybody who is struggling off the tee to, to go to one particular shot shape and just try to perfect that. Par five scoring is really a strong suit for players who drive the ball well and who have great short games, and so often PGA Tour players hit their second shot somewhere around the green. And Jordan has really been brilliant in the par fives recently. He went 12 under at Augusta, 10 under in his win at Valero, 9 under at Riviera, and 10 under in Phoenix. Really fantastic signs moving forward. I think overall, if there is a key lesson from this, it's that golf can be fickle. It's it's not like other sports where you really only have 10 to 15 years to c- accomplish what you can, and really your physical attributes are, are, are very dominant to, to what you can accomplish. Golf careers are long and meandering. Spieth, who is only 27, has another two decades of golf ahead of him. The way he plays the game, which is more as a strategist looking from the hole backwards, is not immune to dips, and there will probably be others in his career. But what will make his story so intriguing is that we'll get to watch as he finds a way to recapture the magic. That's all the time we have today. I hope you enjoyed that look back on Jordan Spieth's career to this point, breaking down where he has been and where he can go from here. If you liked today's episode, please feel free to rate and subscribe to the Graph Podcast if you have some time. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Fairholm.